Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, and zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, You are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Some Chaldeans took his occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, Nebuchadnezzar, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men, in their trousers, robes, head coverings and other clothes, were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. 
Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell bound into the, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisers, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, Look, I see four men, not tired, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you, you servants of the Most High God, Come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisers gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation or language who says anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there is no other god who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. We're in the the book of Daniel, so please keep your Bibles open there. And I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Father God, we, we thank you that you're a God who cares for us. We thank you that you know what our needs are. And we thank you that you never leave us and never forsake us. Would you fill our hearts this morning with wonderful truths from your word? Would you bring comfort to those who are suffering and courage to those who are persecuted? I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you remember nothing from this sermon for the rest of the week, just remember these three words. You can remember three words, can't you? Uncompromising, courageous convictions. Do you remember those three? Uncompromising, courageous convictions. How do you feel when you hear stories of Christian men and women who stand up for Jesus and face even death for their faith? How does it make you feel when you read those stories of these these men of history or the men of today or the women of today who are so passionate about Jesus and so convinced of the power of the gospel that they refuse to compromise their faith? How do you feel? You're inspired by them? Challenged by them? Amazed by them? Ashamed of them? Let me tell you about Richard Wormbrandt. He's the man who founded Voice of the Martyrs, the organization that we sport here at Church by the Bridge. His story is this, that he was born in in Romania, he became a Christian, and as Romania became a communist country, he was forbidden to preach the gospel, to talk about Jesus. 
But this bold, courageous man, he refused to compromise. He stood up for Jesus, and because of that, he was thrown to prison. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was put into solitary confinement for three years. And by that I mean a single cell, 12 feet underground, no light, no window, no sound. He describes how he kept his sanity uh, by sleeping during the day. And during the night, he, he wrote a sermon every night and preached it to himself. When he was released from prison after about eight years... This communist country gathered together all the religious leaders and said, you must bow allegiance to communism. And one by one, Richard Wormbrand watched these men and these women bow allegiance to communism. His wife said to him, wipe that shame off Jesus' face. And so Richard Wormbrand stood up before 4,000 religious leaders and says, I will not bow allegiance to communism I worship God alone, and I serve Christ alone. And for that, he was thrown back into prison. It's described as this. The soles of my feet were beaten until the flesh was torn off them. And the next day, they beat me again to the bone. But I refused to renounce faith in Christ. Now, that's a man of uncompromising courageous conviction, isn't it? That's the man who founded Voice of the Martyrs for the persecuted Christians around the world today that we support. And as we speak here this morning, as we sit here this morning, there are thousands and millions of men and women who are in prison for their faith. We just support 12 in Vietnam, men who are in prison for their faith, who this very moment are in prison because they refuse to deny their faith in Jesus Christ. Does anyone recognize this lady, Rachel Scott? Anyone read the book, Rachel's Tears? She was the first victim of the Columbine High School Massacre. A Christian woman who was targeted because of her faith. A gun was pointed at her head and she was asked to renounce her faith and she was heard to say this, I am not going to apologize for speaking about my Savior, Jesus Christ. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. And she did. Uncompromising, courageous convictions. I've just been in Oxford, and in Oxford there's this this cross made out of stone and bricks on, on the road, the main high street opposite Balliol College. There's a plaque there that says this, that that Thomas Cranmer, Hugh Latimer, and Nicholas Ridley gave up their lives for Christ at that very spot. They were burned at the stake for their belief in Jesus Christ. But they're the kind of extreme examples, aren't they? The men who go to their grave for Christ. What about the everyday examples? The lady at this church who inspires me because her family have rejected her. She's daily, weekly ridiculed and mocked for being her Christian, but she refuses to compromise, and she still loves Jesus. Uh, the man I know at this church who 
He will not get promoted at work because he refuses to lie. He refuses to steal. He has ethical issues and he's been told he will never be promoted. They're the kind of the everyday example, the men and women who are standing up for Jesus in everyday life, refusing to compromise in this world where our culture becomes more and more anti-God. So how do you feel of those stories? Are you inspired by them? Are you challenged by them? Of course, there are the questions like, where is God in their suffering? Why doesn't God intervene? Why doesn't God rescue them? But the big question is this, is God really worth dying for? Is your faith that important that you'll refuse to compromise? That's what we're grappling with in Daniel chapter 3. The years of 580 BC, Nebuchadnezzar is still king. And God's people, the, the Jews, are being displaced. They're living in exile in Babylon as foreigners in this strange land. Let me just be clear here. Babylon was a beautiful city. Babylon is rich, it's relaxed, it's luscious, it's a fun place to live. It's kind of like living in Sydney. The problem is it's so anti-God or anti-Christian. And we meet these three men that we met before back in chapter 1, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And back in chapter 1, they were young, they were keen, they were enthusiastic. This is years later. And you can imagine when they were young, enthusiastic Christians, uh, all their friends saying, oh, they'll learn. You know, they're just, they're just a bit eager, they're just a bit full on for Jesus now, but, but over time they'll compromise. They're now in their 40s and they haven't compromised. They refuse to bow down to worship this statue. Nebuchadnezzar is king, and we learned in chapter 2 that he had this dream about a statue, and Daniel explained that the statue was a picture of his own kingdom that would not last. And it's like Nebuchadnezzar would not accept that. And so he decides not, to, not just to dream about a statue, but to build a statue, a statue of pure gold, 90 feet high. Just so you grasp that, that is higher than the pylons on the harbour bridge. And it stands there on the plain of Jura, verse 1. It's probably about the same place where the Tower of Babel was built. That's interesting. It's this picture of human arrogance, human defiance. This, This king is saying, worship me because I run this world. And then you've got these puppet leaders in verse 3, the satraps, the prefects, the governors. Is he like the prime minister and his cabinet? All the world leaders playing this stupid game of musical statues. So the music starts, they bow down. The music starts, they bow down. And we're supposed to laugh. It's kind of farcical that these powerful men would bow down to this golden statue. But you understand why, because of verse 6. Whoever doesn't fall down and worship will be thrown into the flame. That's the death threat. Bow down or you will burn. And so the music starts in verse 7. When all the people heard the sound of the music, people of every nation, language, fell down and worshipped the gold statue. Well, not quite everybody, because of these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and they refused to bow down. The leaders hate it and they say that these men that you put in power, they, they, they defy you, king. They refuse to bow down to your statues. Now, punish them. And so these three men are brought for a personal meeting with the king, with their personal orchestra, and they're put to the test. Verse 15. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the music, fall down and worship the statue. But if you don't worship it, you'll be immediately thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue from my power, says the king? Now, that's the tension. Will they compromise or will they be courageous? Will they comply with the king or will they die for their faith? And let me say, friends, I think that's the same kind of tension that if we're a follower of Jesus Christ today, that we should feel that we are living in a world which is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. We're living in a culture where what the world says clashes with what God's Word says. I haven't preached on this chapter for 12 years. I preached on this chapter the first year of Church by the Bridge, and I, I reread my sermon this week. And I said something like, oh, we as Christians have it easy. We don't really face suffering today. But I think in 12 years, the climate has changed. The media has become increasingly hostile. Not just same-sex marriage, but gender issues, family values, work ethics, socioeconomic issues, the movies, the technology. Increasingly, it's hard to be a Christian. And when we speak up for our faith, we are mocked, we are ridiculed, we are berated, we are called intolerant or arrogant or bigoted. There's a clash of cultures. The world that we live in today is increasingly anti-God. God has no objections to his people living in this foreign land. Jeremiah 29 encouraged them to, 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 to put down roots there, to build houses, to learn the language. God doesn't say, remove yourself from this world. He says, live in this world, but be different to the world. And so there should be moments where there's a collision between your faith and what the world says. Let's think about this. What would you do if our government forbid us from having Bibles in our homes? It's not out of the question. What would you do if you've got kids here and they went to school and they were told to bow down to Allah? What would I do if I was forced by the government to conduct same-sex marriage ceremonies? They're the kind of issues that we're talking about. Will we be uncompromising, courageous? The problem is you read Daniel chapter 3, you just think, oh, it's a gold statue. It's just a bit ridiculous, but it's not ridiculous. And you kind of think, well, why, why didn't these guys sort of subtly compromise? You know, just go with the flow, bow down, but not mean it. God wouldn't mind. No, God would mind. God minds when we tell lies. God minds when we compromise. God minds when we worship things other than him. 
This is the tension that we feel. And my fear is that many of us are these kind of chameleons who, who change our colors depending on who we're talking to. We're embarrassed to speak up for Jesus if it causes us to be ridiculed. We put our popularity or our lifestyle above our faith in Jesus. What did these men do? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer. We don't have to defend ourselves to you. We have a higher authority. We are here to worship God. And if the God that we serve exists, then he is able, he has the power to rescue us from that, that flame of burning fire. And he can, he's able to rescue us, to deliver us from you. You have no power. But, verse 18, even if he does not rescue us, even if God chooses not to rescue them, they will not bow down and compromise their faith. Now, now please don't read this story with the ending in sight. Uh, We know that God rescues them, but at this point, they don't know that. These are just men who are prepared to die for their faith. They remind me of Bishop Polycarp, who was martyred in AD 168. He was asked to renounce his faith in Christ. He said this, 86 years I've served my Savior. He's never done me any harm. How could I reject him now? You threaten me with fire that will burn for an hour, and after that will be quenched. But you're unaware of the fire of the judgment to come. That's a man of uncompromising, courageous convictions. And as I said before, as we speak at this very hour, there are men and women who are being beaten and tortured and mocked and imprisoned because of their uncompromising, courageous convictions. And it's my duty, I think, as a pastor to inform you about that. The, the, the slogan of the voice of the martyrs is, is that we, the Western church, need the persecuted church more than the persecuted church needs us. And what they're getting at there is that, yes, they need our prayers and, yes, they need our care, but we in the Western church need to be spurred on to be bold for Jesus when we see their examples because we have it easy. And our faith here can just be kind of lukewarm because it's fairly easy to be a Christian. We need them to show what it means to stand up for Jesus. In 2016, a study that was done said that Christians are the most persecuted group across the globe. 90,000 Christians were killed for their faith last year. That's one death every six minutes. As we sit here in church... You know, 20 people will be killed for their faith. I think we should pray for them right now. I'm going to pray for them. Sovereign Lord, may you inspire and embolden these men and women who are in prison for their faith. God of comfort, for those who are tortured in body and mind, give them grace to endure and to see their sufferings as part of following your footsteps. 
A merciful God for those who are asked to pay the ultimate price even today, who are martyred for their faith. May they truly know you in the power of your resurrection. And Father, for those who have been widowed and orphaned, may they know the comfort that comes from your promised presence with them. May they be strengthened by your Spirit. And Lord, would you make us mindful of them. And may they be example to us. Amen. I really ask you, what about you? Have you understood what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Have you understood what Jesus meant when he said that the world hated me and they will hate you? Because Christianity is not just about feeling good or forgiveness or community or charity. It's that uncompromising, courageous conviction that Jesus is God. He did die. He did rise. He is the only way to God. And we need to stand up for that. That's our first word, uncompromising. And my question is, is, is why didn't these men compromise? What gave them the courage? Was it just this raw, macho strength? And the second word this morning is convictions. That these men had convictions about their God. They had beliefs about the character and the promises of their God that gave them that courage. Because this chapter is less about the, the courage of the men and more about the character of the God that they're courageous in. Let me read from verse 19 onwards. So Nebuchadnezzar is furious, filled with rage. Verse 19, he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than customary. So hot that the the soldiers who throw them into the furnace are actually killed down in verse 22. And he picks the strongest soldiers down in verse 20. He ties up these men. They are bound and they are thrown fully clothed. The trousers, the robes, the head coverings. It's this picture of surely it would just catch fire immediately. It's an impossible situation. At this point in verse 23, these men need a miracle. They need a miraculous deliverance. But in verse 23, God does not intervene, does he? You expect God to cause Nebuchadnezzar to have a heart attack or for the the furnace to blow out or just to to save these men from going into the furnace. But he doesn't. God allows these servants to go into the flames. And then verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar is staring into the flames and he is shocked, perplexed perhaps. Didn't we throw three men into the fire? Yes, your majesty. Well, look, I see four men, not tied and walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a a son of the gods. Who is this fourth man? Is it an angel of the Lord? It it could be. That's what Nebuchadnezzar says. Is it the the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ walking with his servants? It could be. Countless books have been written about who this fourth person is. All that matters is that, is, that, is that God is with them. God is walking alongside them. God is protecting them. God is delivering them. God is saving them. And these three courageous men come out of that furnace completely unharmed. 
Not a hair is singed, the clothes aren't burned, and there's no smell of fire. It's an absolute miracle. So what were they convicted about? Three things for us to hold on to. Number one, God's presence. God's presence even in the flames. I'll say that again. God's presence even in the flames. You see that, don't you? The point of this fourth man, this divine being, whoever it is, is that God never leaves them. God walks alongside them. Now, you know that about your God, don't you? Even back in Genesis, God was walking with them in the garden, even when they sinned. That's one conviction that you need to have in life, that whatever you face, whatever trial, whatever hardship, whatever suffering, whatever persecution, you do not do that alone. You can never say, I'm all alone and God has left me. Maybe you need to memorize some verses about that. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold on to you. Isaiah 43 verse 2. I'll be with you when you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the rivers, they won't overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you. Now I'm persuaded there are people here this morning who need to hold on to that truth. Whatever hardships, whatever trials, whatever flames God is taking you through, it may not be persecution. It may just be everyday suffering. You've got to hold on to the fact that God has not left you. He will never leave you. He'll walk alongside you and he will carry you. It is cheesy, but that, fo- that footprints poem is spot on. One night I, I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life, and for each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints and noticed that many times along the path of my life, especially at the lowest and saddest time, there was only one set of footprints. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. I noticed during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there's one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I need you most. Why would you leave me? And he whispered, my precious child, I love you. I will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I picked you up and I carried you. If you're going to be courageous, please be convicted you don't do life alone. Be convicted about God's power, God's power to deliver you from whatever situation Your God is able to save. Your God is able to deliver. Extraordinary theology in verse 17, 18. Look at it again. If God exists, then he is able, he is powerful to rescue us, even from the flames of fire. He is more powerful than King Nebuchadnezzar. 
But, verse 18, even if God doesn't rescue us, if God chooses not to, we're not going to abandon God and worship an idol. See, when I talk about God's power, please don't hear me as saying that God has promised to deliver you from every trial and every hardship. That is dodgy theology. Please don't tell people who are going through the flames if they had more faith and prayed more, then God will deliver them. Read your Bible. One apostle is killed, another is spared. One is martyred, one is delivered. Look at Christians around the world today. Some are delivered, others continue to be persecuted. But you've got to believe that God is all-powerful and God is able. Please never think God is weak. When you read stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Richard Wormbrand, or Rachel Scott, please never think that God was unable to save them. Now, God may choose not to. In God's inexplicable wisdom, he may choose to allow his people to, to suffer, to face tragedy and trial and persecution and torture and even death for their faith. God may allow that to happen but you've got to believe he is powerful to save. Because when you're convicted that God has, has the ultimate power, it gives you the courage to stand up, stand up for Jesus. So you've got to go through life going, you know, God, you are able to do all I ask or imagine. But, but if you choose not God, that's okay. I'll keep serving you. When you're faced with that hostility or verbal abuse, God, I believe you can stop that and shut the mouth of that person. But if you choose not God, I'll keep serving you. So do you believe that, that, that God is powerful to do whatever he wants to do in your life? And the third conviction, which I think we can have much more than these three men had, was the conviction about God's paradise. See, what were these men rescued from? death? What have you and I been rescued from? What are we certain of here today? Life beyond death. Not by a fourth man in the flames, but by a man on an old wooden cross. A man called Jesus Christ who lived in a hostile world and refused to compromise. The world hated him and he stood before kings and governors and refused to compromise and they took him to a cross. On that first Easter morning, the tomb was empty. As Paul says, oh death, where is your sting? And the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ really does change everything. Because the real furnace that you face is called hell. And that's impossible for us to escape from by ourselves. We deserve to be thrown into that furnace, bound and helpless. We can't save ourselves, but Jesus took pity on us, saw us, grabbed hold of us, rescued us from hell, and promised us great forgiveness and eternal life. And you've got to be persuaded that even if they killed our body, they, kill, they cannot kill your soul. Even if the people who hate you the most cause you the deepest pain, they cannot kill your love for Jesus. And even if you face death for your faith, that's just the beginning, isn't it? Just the beginning of this wonderful thing that God calls, his, calls paradise. 
his glorious presence for all eternity. So I want to ask you this morning, are you a man or a woman who not just believes in Jesus, but has this uncompromising, courageous convictions? No matter what you go through, no matter what ridicule or mocking or taunting you face, in this world of a clash of cultures, you will stand up, stand up for Jesus. Is that you? We're going to take some bread and some juice this morning. It's a symbol of just how much Jesus loves you, that he would die for you to promise you that eternal life. If you're here this morning, you believe in that God, you believe in this Jesus, you've got these uncompromising, courageous convictions. Take the bread, take the juice, hold on to it. We're going to eat and drink after this next song. If you're here this morning, you don't really believe that, let it pass you by. All the bread is gluten-free, by the way. The song we're going to sing is actually the words spoken by an uncompromising, courageous man. It was a man who was converted in a village in India by Welsh missionaries. And the village chief called him and said, renounce your faith in Christ. Give up your belief in Jesus Christ. And he said these words, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. This man watched his wife and his kids killed for their faith. He said, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. So why don't we stand, and if you're able, echo the words, I have decided to follow Jesus.